0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Health Check. In this fortnightly podcast series on Wednesdays, The Straits Times guides you to healthier living and debunks misconceptions with medical guests. I'm Joyce Teo and my co-host is Ernest Lewis. Today our special guest is Dr Tan Kang, a urologist at EuroHealth Medical Clinic. Is going to debunk some common myths that people have about kidney stones. These are hard deposits of minerals and salts that form inside your kidneys and it can be quite painful to punch them up. Hi, Dr. Tan.
1: Hi, hi, thanks for having me on the program.
0: Welcome. This kidney stones, right? I've heard of people reducing their calcium intake to prevent kidney stones. So, you know, are they doing the right
1: thing? Okay, so that's actually a very interesting misconception. We've found that in the majority of patients, the stones are oftentimes calcium oxalate. So they do contain calcium. But surprisingly, most studies have shown that increasing calcium intake in our population in Asia, where we generally, we don't take enough calcium, actually helps to prevent stone formation.
2: Hmm. Right. So we have to take more calcium That's to correct. prevent kidney stones. That's right. Okay, tell us how does it work.
1: Okay, so if we are deficient in calcium and we take a normal diet, our body will tend to absorb a lot of oxalate into the intestines, into the blood and then out into the urine and form stones. Mm. But when we take adequate amounts of calcium, let's say from a dairy source like milk or even your ikan bilis, the calcium actually binds the oxalate in your intestines and that stops you from absorbing this oxalate into your blood and then it doesn't have a chance to go into your urine. So it actually helps prevent stone formation.
2: So where does it go then? Through your... Yeah, it comes, out in, the,
1: in, yeah, it comes out in your bowels and your poo.
2: Okay, <laughs> so there's a difference there. That's you, right. We've got to understand that difference then.
1: That's right. Okay. Yeah.
2: And is it true, I mean, here's one, I just want to throw this out to you. I mean, I've heard this, I mean, my dad and my uncles used to tell me, you've got kidney stones, drink beer. Come on, are they for <laughs> real?
1: <laughs> yeah, so surprisingly, there was another study that actually showed that beer helped reduce the incidence of kidney stones. But we believe that this is probably because you're actually creating more urine when you drink beer. Because beer Mm -hmm. has two Mm. functions. It's fluid, so it has to come out somewhere. And the second thing is, is what we call a diuretic. And diuretics basically make you produce more urine. So, you are diluting your system and you're preventing stone formation.
2: So, is this what you actually tell your patients who (laughs) are diagnosed, you know, try and drink some more beer or something? It might help, actually.
1: Generally, I don't because there's the other (laughs) issue we've glossed over and that is the issue of calories. (laughs) Right, okay. (laughs) But they should drink more water then. Yes, for sure. So, in one of our studies in Singapore, we found that for patients with repeated stone episodes, the biggest issue for them is a lack of fluid intake, or mm-hmm. more importantly, a lack of urine output. So mm-hmm. if you don't produce enough urine, you're going to have very concentrated urine. Okay. So that allows all the stones to crystallize or form crystals in your kidneys. Right. And when these crystals stick together, they form into stones. Right. So what's an adequate intake then? How do we know? Right. Okay, so we normally tell patients you need to produce 2 litres of urine a day. So obviously that's going to be very hard to measure and mm-hmm. no one's going to measure their urine on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So the easiest thing to tell them is to ensure that they drink enough such that the urine is a light yellow or pale yellow colour. Mm-hmm. So that probably implies that you are getting enough dilution in your urine.
2: So it's not like thick or a little bit cloudy. Yeah,
1: cloudy is yeah. not good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and,
2: and a lot of seniors actually uh, do this, right? I mean, late at night, they might not want to drink too much because they're afraid of going to. actually they should be doing the
1: opposite that's a good point in a sense you know as you get more elderly you're going to have an issue with waking up at night to produce urine and there are many factors for that which we probably can discuss at another time Mm. but to counteract this problem with the elderly and stone formation I tell my patients to drink more water in the day Mm -hmm. and up to about two hours before they sleep so two hours before they sleep, they start cutting out their water intake. So they have reduced nighttime frequency, but they manage to dilute their urine throughout the day. So that helps prevent stone formation.
0: Alright. So what if those people exercise, right? That like you go for hot yoga, you sweat a oh, lot. Oh yeah, hot
1: yoga. Oh my god, yeah. don't so, don't get me started on that. Yeah, <laughs> I fainted in hot yoga. Yeah. So. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I can't take it. All my mucus just keeps coming out.
1: Yeah, I I leave a puddle and it looks like I went swimming. But uh, yeah, so if you do hot yoga and you perspire Mm. a lot, or let's say you're working out in the sun a lot because you're doing construction or deliveries or or whatever, you need to think about increasing your fluid intake. Uh, Once again, we're not looking at so much at how much you drink, though we do recommend at least six to eight glasses a day in general but if you are working in an environment where you perspire a lot then we obviously have to increase your fluid intake to keep the urine dilute so once again the easiest way to track it is look at your urine color if it's clear you're probably and not too dark you're probably on the right track Okay. So,
2: Dr. Tan, uh, do you find... I mean, we talked about seniors and all that. What about the younger set? Do you find your patients getting younger over the past few years or it's not the case still?
1: I think there are two groups of patients. Mm. One, they actually do have some propensity to form stones apart from fluid intake. And this tend to be younger age group patients. They right. may be because... They have a genetic predisposition towards forming stones because some kind of issues with metabolism of calcium or oxalate. Or they could be having issues with maybe they go to the gym a lot, they sweat a lot, they take a lot of protein and then they have an increased propensity to form stones. Okay, yeah.
2: But you don't find that in children among your patients?
1: Okay, very rare in children in okay. Singapore. You might remember an episode in China mm. where they were spiking milk powder with melanin Yes, which is yep. picked up as a protein. So they, when they did a test, obviously there was protein, but it was actually melanin. So melanin would actually aggregate in the kidneys and form kidney stones. So there was a period in time in China where a lot of kids were getting kidney stones and kidney failure, which is okay. why there was this big rush in China to buy yeah. milk products from uh, New Zealand and Australia and all that. Until yeah. Yeah. now, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and it's still going on. That's right. <laughs> and it's still going on.
2: Okay, now if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Health Check on Apple's Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with urologist Tan Yung Khan. So Dr Tan, I've heard that passing a kidney stone is the closest that a man can get to experiencing labour pain. Is
1: this true? (laughs) Well... I had a female patient who told me it was worse than labour pain. So there you go. (laughs) I think it's pretty close, yeah. Yeah. But it depends on the size of the stones, right? Well, in a sense, it depends on the size, but it depends on how severe is the blockage. Mm. So if a stone is sitting in the kidney, it may not cause any symptoms. Mm -hmm. But if it moves down into what we call the ureter, which is basically the tube that connects the kidney to the bladder, Mm -hmm. it can jam in there, and then Mm -hmm. it causes pressure to build up in the kidney because the urine cannot pass down anymore. And that's when you experience the severe pain in your back.
0: Oh, okay. oh That's when it's very serious.
1: That's but when it's serious, yeah.
0: Right, but before it gets to that stage, how would I know?
1: Should I just wait and mm. if I have, feel a little pain? Okay, so sometimes, as I mentioned, you may have no symptoms at all because the stones are small and they're not actually blocking anything. If they do become more serious, they drop down in the ureter and all that, you may find a few things. You may find blood in the urine. Mm. Apart from that, the pain that we described, And sometimes if the urine builds up in pressure and it gets infected, then you may get a fever along with that.
0: Right.
2: So actually when it gets to uh, that stage and you know that you need treatment, I had a friend recently who had kidney stones and he was confused because he was told two options. One is you either blast the stones or you go for a scope through the urethra, the penis, right? And he was squirming at both options. I think he preferred the blasting but he wasn't sure which one he should trust. I mean, what kind of treatment is preferable? And again, it depends on the seriousness. I guess it differs from patients to patients. What's your take on that?
1: So actually there are three options, Mm. not just two. The two options you described, one is uh, what we call shockwave, and that uses sound energy from outside the body to break up the stone. And then on the assumption that, number one, the stone breaks, number two, that it all passes out and doesn't get jammed somewhere else. Right. The other option you described is a scope. And now we have scopes that can go all the way into the kidney and they can flex around. And then we use a laser to blast the stones and then we've got baskets to grab out all the fragments. Mm. Okay? And actually, there's a third option. And this okay. is applicable for smaller stones. And if the patient is not having a fever and the pain is well controlled, then okay. there's the option of what we call medical expulsive therapy. Okay. which basically means drink lots of water mm-hmm. and we'll give you some medicine to try and relax the ureter so that the stone may pass out. Ah, okay. yeah, this is more for smaller stones. Okay. Right.
0: The smaller stones don't cause a lot of pain, right? Or they because can cause no. severe pain. Oh, really? okay. I,
1: I've had a patient with a 2 millimeter stone, right. Okay. and I thought, oh, this is going to have an 80% chance of what we call spontaneous passage, right? Mm-hmm. right? Pass on its own. He was in so much pain, I was giving him so much morphine. in the end, we decided, okay, after four hours of waiting or six hours of waiting, this is not going to help because mm. we were giving him morphine every two hours. Oh, so we brought him in and then we cleared out the stone with a scope. Mm.
0: Right.
2: And the scope is done under what, G, General Anesthesia? That's
1: right. That's the scope is normally done under General Anesthesia so you don't know what's going on. It's okay. just only after that.
0: Yeah. Right. So uh, in the first
1: place, how do we prevent it? And we don't want yeah. to have this happen, right? Okay. So, you know, we talked about prevention and That's a good question because that's what I always discuss with my patients after I've treated their stones. Mm. How do we stop you from coming to see me again, right? (laughs) So I spoil my own business, but uh, (laughs) but it's important to do a few things. Number one, fluid intake. So Mm -hmm. as we discussed, drink enough water that your urine is always light-colored, at least six to eight glasses a day, especially if you're a stone former. Number two, I tell patients to watch out in terms of salt intake. So we know that high sodium intake is associated with increased calcium in your urine. So by reducing salt intake, you reduce calcium in your urine, so that reduces stone formation. Number three, we know that citrus juices are like lemon and lime, especially the fresh ones, okay, not the fruit tree with sugar. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not against fruit tree, but (laughs) generally fresh juices. The citrus actually acts as a stone inhibitor, so it stops stones from forming. So this is the three things I tell any patient I have with stone problems if they are recurrent formers, then I would do more tests to check their urine to see whether they have too much oxalate, whether they have too little citrate where I might have to do a medical replacement and then we can do other things to investigate. But the basic is drink more water, Mm. wash your salt intake and increase your citrate in terms of citrus juices like lemon and lime. And lastly, I would say also you might want to cut back a bit on the protein. If you're really heavy on your protein intake, mm-hmm. it actually does something called uh, acidifying your body and your urine. And when the urine is more acidic, it's easier for stones to form.
2: So reduce your meat, beans, things like that.
1: Yeah, especially uh, meat intake. Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: So when you talk about the citrus uh, fruits, right, what about apple cider vinegar? Does it help?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> after this, you're going to ask me about alkaline water. <laughs> okay. Okay. There isn't very strong evidence to show that uh, apple cider vinegar is going to help. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to take it, I think that's fine. But I'm not sure whether it really helps or not. Yeah. Okay. But we definitely know that simple fruit juices like lemon and lime does help.
2: And you what? You can squeeze the lime in, yeah, into yeah, your that's water right. as well. So right?
1: that's why yeah. I tell some of my patients who have issues with drinking lime or lemon juice... I tell them to cut a couple of slices and most of them are going to be on some kind of fluid regime Mm -hmm. so I tell them to buy a 500cc bottle and put a few slices in there of lemon or lime and then, if you drink four bottles of that, you've drunk two liters already. Wow, yeah. okay.
0: So, does it help? I mean, what if uh, somebody goes out and buy a vitamin C supplements?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, so now we talk about <laughs> yes. another problem. Okay. <laughs> Contrary to believe that vitamin C is all good and now the bad, okay, vitamin C may be useful if you're having a flu, and some people do take mega doses, like mm. a thousand milligrams or more. But we know that vitamin C at such doses doesn't all get absorbed by the body. Right. So the body converts it to our biggest problem, oxalate. Okay. So we are actually increasing oxalate in your urine. So you have increased risk of forming kidney stones if you take mega doses of vitamin C. But at mm-hmm. two to 500 milligrams per day, that's probably fine.
2: So it is true, because I was told to stop taking the 1000 milligrams pills a day. Yeah, I yeah. was told to cut it down to about 500, so that should be okay.
1: Yeah, I think 500 is good. I okay. mean, as a base dose, I think it's more than enough. Okay, that's right. good to know. Everything in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's
0: a wrap for Health Check. Thank you, Dr Tan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we hope you like this latest healthy living tips. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.